to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, Paul writing, he says, Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistles, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. You are manifestly an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. And we have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we're sufficient of ourselves, to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, well then how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, well then the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glorious it had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what was passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were hardened. For even until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or freedom. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Father, I pray that you would help us to understand this passage. Lord, may it not just sink into our minds, but may it sink into our hearts and then run its course through the veins of our life that we would be transformed by hearing your word, reading your word, and allowing your word to radically transform us. Do this in us this day, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, Paul, he, he is talking about, uh, last week we were talking about, you know, the epistles that, 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 Corinthian church was. I mean, just uh, Paul was saying, hey, we don't need letters from you to state that we are who we are and that we know who Christ is and that we have the ability and the authority to talk about Christ because all that anybody has to do is look at your lives. Look at you. This is who you used to be. This is who you are now. Christ has made this change and God used us to come and give that, give that word to you and God changed you. We didn't do it. And that's what he's going in today. He's going, I don't necessarily need letters. Look at your own lives. If anyone says, hey, I want to see the, the qualifications of Paul the Apostle. Paul says, all I really have to do is say, hey, go look at the church there in Corinth and look at their lives and look at them. And they are our epistle. They are our letter of, recommend, or of, of commendation. They are our letter of recommendation. They are our letter of validation of what it is that we do and what it is that we say. Uh, but then he goes on in, in verse 4. He says, And we have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we're sufficient of ourselves, to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. And so Paul's making it very clear that, hey, man, it's not us that's doing this. 
It's not us that is doing this. This is something that is from the Lord. We have this word sufficiency. The word in the Greek is hikanoo, hikanoo, H-I-K-A-N-O-O, which literally means able, competent, or worthy. Paul says we're not able, competent, or worthy to do these things. Not in and of ourselves. No way. No way. We can't do it. How many of us can relate to not feeling sufficient to do anything for God? I think that, that all of us, in some capacity or another, some a lot more than others, we sometimes feel that we're so insufficient, we have no sufficiency to actually open our mouth for the Lord to live for Christ in front of people that they might see Christ high and lifted up in our life. We think we don't know enough. If we can only know a little bit more, then if I could only become a pastor, if I only I could become a teacher, if only I could go to Bible college, then I'd be able to adequately and be, you know, be sufficient. It would be sufficient enough for me to be able to go into the world and spread the gospel. But you see, that's not one of the criteria that Jesus ever gave to us. Jesus says, go. You don't need a Bible college. He didn't say, hey, first go to a Bible college or first do this, first do that. Here's the thing. When you have been touched by Christ, you have now become able to share what Christ has done in your life. And not only is it that you're able to do it, you're not able to do it in and of yourselves, but you're able to do it through the Holy Spirit. For that's what Jesus was saying, right? In John chapter 14, he goes, I'm not going to leave you orphans. Guys, I'm leaving. They were sad because Jesus was leaving. He says, but, but listen, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm going to send to you, I'm going to send to you the paraclete, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. And then in John chapter 16, he says, here's what he's going to do for you. He's going to He's with you in chapter 14. He will be in you. When he's in you, chapter 16, it gives the demonstration, or it gives the, the, the definition or the, 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 uh, the purpose of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He's going to lead you. He's going to guide you. He's going to speak of things from me and of the Lord. He's the one that's going to guide you. So Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go away, for if I don't go away, I can't do that. I can't send the Holy Spirit into your life. I can't send the Holy Spirit into your heart to lead and guide and direct you. But if I do, if I go to the cross, if I rise again from the dead, I will send him to you. And he's he's with you right now. He will be in you. He will be in you. The reality of the matter is that the vast majority of Christians feel this way. I'm insufficient to say anything. And and thus it keeps them from from acting on any impulses from the Holy Spirit to step out into uncharted territory. But the fact of the matter is is that nobody is sufficient. I'm not sufficient. You think I'm sufficient to stand up here and speak in front of you? Just spend 30 seconds with my wife. She'll let you know he's not sufficient. My son, who picked his head up right then. (laughs) Here's the thing. Spend some time with them. You're going to go, yeah, well, here's the thing. I'm a man. You're a, you're a man or a woman. It's not us. It's the one that lives in us. Paul says, oh, I know that in me nothing good dwells. Oh, wretched man that I am. But do you, here, here's what he says in Romans chapter 7. He goes, I know that in me that is in my flesh. Now, he has to make that statement because In Paul was what? The Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit. So he's not saying, hey, the Holy Spirit isn't good inside of me. He goes, no, no, no. I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. But it's the Holy Spirit that can do that. Oh, wretched man that that I am. The things that I will to do, those are the things that I don't do. The things that I will not to do, those are the very things I practice. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ. 
Jesus Christ sets us free from this body of death. It's the Holy Spirit coming inside of us that leads us and guides us and directs us in our life. And so when we sit here and we say, hey, I have no sufficiency, Paul's saying, listen, we have such trust through Christ in verse 4 toward God, not that we're sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. This is what Paul's saying. He's saying, I don't have the sufficiency, but my sufficiency comes from somewhere else. Dana has a passage that she's going to read. Luke chapter 21. What does it say? I want you to read it loud so we can hear it. So who, who is going to give you the words to speak according to what that just said? Huh? God, yeah. The Holy Spirit is going to give you the words. Does that mean that you're, you rock? Well, I might think you rock, but here's the thing. It's the rock that's going to give you the words. Christ is the one that through the Holy Spirit is going to give you the words to say. I'm insufficient to talk to anybody. I'm so frightened. Wait a minute. Perfect love casts out all fear. Okay, well, I don't have that excuse anymore. Here's the thing. Branch out, launch out, share, open up your mouth. I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's uncomfortable ground at times. It is uncomfortable ground. And man, I'm talking to myself right now, gang. You guys can just leave because I'm talking to myself right now. There's a mirror, you know. I've kind of got this fictitious mirror in front of me. Dude, get out there and, and, and allow the sufficiency of Christ to be in you. Let Him speak through you. For God's going to give you the words to speak. Paul says, God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. This new covenant Paul talks about, There's a difference between covenant and contract. A contract is a mutual understanding or a mutual meeting of the minds between two parties or many parties where those parties have opportunity to include directives that will be agreed and adhered to once the contract is signed. That's a contract. A covenant, on the other hand, is a document or a directive that is given by one party with the authority and power to enforce its contents, whereas the receiving party neither has, uh, either accepts or rejects the covenant, but has no authority to alter it. Does that make sense to you? I, I hope so, because here's the thing. A covenant is given to us. This new covenant has been offered to us. We either accept it or we reject it. We didn't come up with it. This is a covenant that God created. God wrote with the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. And He signed it with the resurrection. And and this new covenant has been given to us. To us, to you, to me. And, and so here's the thing. We either accept it or we reject it. Paul's saying, listen, God has made us sufficient as mini- of ministers of the new covenant. This is something that God came up with. We are just adhering to what it is that God has done. If you go back in the book of Jeremiah, I believe it's in cha- uh, chapter 27, where Jeremiah says, hey, I'm going to give you a new covenant. There's a new covenant coming. Jeremiah, back in the Old Testament, God's speaking through Jeremiah saying, I'm going to give them a new covenant. I'm going to, not one that is written in their, on, on the, their foreheads or on their, the frontlets on their foreheads or, or, or on their wrists or in, in their little phylacteries. I'm going to write the new covenant on their heart. On their heart. And he's talking about the difference of the old covenant as opposed to the new covenant. The new covenant had been prophesied. The new covenant came with Jesus. 
Jesus established, God established a new covenant through Christ. And we either accept it or we reject it. But if the ministry, and it says the letter of the new covenant is of the Spirit, but the letter of the old covenant, which is on stone, it kills. The Spirit gives life, but the letter, but the, but the, 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 the letter of the old covenant, it kills. And we're going to see that here in just a second. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. Before I go on, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have you move all the way back into Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. Go back there. In Exodus chapter 32, I am going to read a little bit here. I'm going to read a lot of it here. I'm going to read in, in a kind of a narrative Bible. Some of you might have it. I don't usually do this, but I, I'm going to do it today because uh, for the sake of, of understanding and it will help us to, 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 to hear some things in a little bit more modern language. Uh, the New Living Translation. Any of you guys use the New Living Translation in here? Some of you guys? Yeah, a few of you guys. Okay, good. All right, well, so this is going to be totally right down your aisle because you're going to be able to follow right along with us and, and for once, you know, because I usually am out of the New King James and you go, okay, I've got to kind of decipher that as, as, as I go. But in, uh, not in Genesis, Don, in Exodus chapter 32, let me set the stage. God has called Moses up to the Mount Sinai. He's been gone for quite some time. What's happened is that the people are getting antsy and they're going after Aaron, Moses' brother. And, and they go, hey, uh, we, we need a God to serve because here's the thing. This Moses, we have no idea where he is, what's going on. He went up that mountain a little while ago, uh, you, know, you know, weeks ago. We don't know what's become of him. He's not coming back. And so here's the thing. We're out here in the wilderness. We need a God to serve. So here's the thing. They start really pressing down on Aaron. And Aaron goes, I don't know what to do. My brother's not here. So give me all your gold. And, and Aaron takes the gold and he takes it. And he melts all the gold together. And then he fashions this golden calf. And, and, all the, and then he, he brings it out and he goes, Israel, this is your God. That's a great hype man isn't it <laughs> you know uh, Aaron is not a very good hype man he's not a very good representative at this moment in time of what the Lord really wants to do he should be but he didn't have a backbone he was afraid probably for his life and he was concerned about what was happening and so he goes in and he says okay here's what we're going to do um, we're going to it's just awkward that the motorcycle drives up on the patio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a parking lot out there. That's usually what those are for. Um, so, poor guy, he's looking at us, and we all looked at him, and he's thinking, hey, they're talking about me now. Um, so, that just totally threw my mind. So, uh, Aaron... He builds, this, he builds this calf. And he brings it out and he says, Israel, this is your God. And Israel, ah! And they start bowing down and worshiping and playing, you know, music and start drinking and they start having a very horrible time. Uh, well, to them and to the debaucherous, they were having a great time. Man, they hadn't had a time like this for a long time. And man, this is awesome because Moses is gone. That stickler... You know, that guy that really kept us in check with God. We just want to be let loose to where we can sleep with anybody. We can live any way we want. We can drink to our heart's content. We can party like there's no tomorrow. I'm going to party like it's 1999. <laughs> Sorry, but it, that like four people got that. But here's the thing. We're going to just go for it. We're going to go for it. And so they do. And Moses is having the time of his life up on Mount Sinai with the Lord. And the Lord goes, hey, Mo, yeah, Lord, this is awesome. He goes, yeah, you need to get down. You got to get down. People down there in the camp, they're, they're becoming debaucherous. 
They're bowing down to another god. Moses goes, what? He goes, yeah, what? You got to get down. And so he goes down. Taking the tablets of, of the covenant that God had you know, delivered to him. And Moses gets down and in his anger, he throws the stones down, the tablets on the ground and they break and he gets ticked. He gets ticked. And he goes to Aaron. He goes, Aaron, what's going on? He goes, oh, you know, these people, you know, they're, they could get pretty crazy. And they came after me and I was afraid. They, and so I said, hey, here's the thing. I don't know where Moses is, but here's the thing. Take, give me your gold and give it all to me. And so Moses, really, this is what happened. I took all the gold. I threw it in the fire and this calf popped out. And that's what we start worshiping. That was a truth or a lie? That was a lie. That was a lie. I fashioned it, Moses. Well, that's where we're at. In verse 27 of Exodus chapter 32, Moses is in the midst of having his time behind the woodshed. And he says to the says to the children of Israel, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from the entrance to entrance throughout the camp and let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, every man his neighbor. Now does that mean that he's asking everybody to be killed in there? No. What it is is that they're wiping away the mixed multitude that came through. Remember, we've used that term quite often, haven't we? The mixed multitude that has gone in there and has created a cancer amongst the people that says, we need a God to serve. We want to drink. We want to sleep with whoever we want. We want this debaucherous life. We want leeks and onions. We want, we want, we want. And they're all about them. And they've caused the children of Israel to sin. And so Moses says, don't spare your eye. It might be your friend might be a family member might be a companion might be your neighbor right now we need to eradicate this sin else we are consumed basically by this cancer that is amongst us verse 28 and so the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses and look at about 3,000 men of the people fell that day the day that the law was given the day that Moses came down the mountain with the law of God 3,000 people were killed if you go back into the book of Acts, you want to talk about redemption? If you go back into the book of Acts, what we see is that the day that the Spirit was given, it says in Acts chapter 2, let me read it, it says exactly this. This is what it says. This will be cool for you. Watch this. It says this. It says... Uh, Verse 38 of chapter 2, Peter said to, to all of the people that were there, Repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What we're talking about today. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord God will call. And with many other words, Peter testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those, look at, listen, then those who gladly received his word, the day that the Spirit was given... Then those who gladly received this word were baptized and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. The day that the law was given, there were 3,000 souls that died. The day that the Spirit was given, there were about 3,000 souls that were saved. What has Paul been talking about here in 2 Corinthians? He says, he says the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Well, there was 3,000 souls that could testify, or 6,000 souls that can testify to that fact, isn't there? And, and so it goes on. It says, and Moses says, back in Exodus chapter 32, um, and I'm going to read quite a bit here, and you can just have to bear with me here and, and follow me. And I said I was going to read in New Living Translation, so I'm going to. Verse 29. Then Moses told the Levites, Today you have ordained yourselves for the service of the Lord. You obeyed him even though it meant killing your own sons and daughters and brothers. Today you have earned a blessing. The next day Moses said to the people, you've committed a terrible sin, but I will go back up to the Lord on the mountain. Perhaps I will be able to obtain forgiveness for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, what a terrible sin these people have committed. They've made gods of gold for themselves, but now if you will only forgive them their sin, 
But, but listen, Lord, if not, erase my name. Blot my name from the record you have written. Blot my name out of the book of life. And the Lord replied to Moses, No, Mo, I will erase the name of everyone who has sinned against me. Now, go lead the people to the place I told you about. Look, my angel will lead the way before you. And when I come to call the people to account, I will certainly hold them responsible for their sins. Then the Lord sent a great plague among the people because they had worshipped the calf Aaron had made. Um, God isn't you know, mistaken on this. God isn't fooled by Aaron's words of saying, hey, the calf just popped out. God knows, Aaron, you made this. There's a lot of guilt on Aaron's shoulders right now. I'm reading this in this translation because I want you to understand the magnitude and, and this is a theological study, if you will. And it's going to help you to understand the Old Covenant from the New Covenant. It's going to help you to understand the blessing that you and I are in today. Jesus said to the disciples, Do you know that many prophets longed to see what you see today? What you see and hear? And I say to you, church, those who are listening to this message... Many in the Old Testament long to hear the words that I'm saying here today, that I'm reading, that I'm recapping to you and, 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 looking and looking at, again, from the Old to the New Testament and looking at these things and seeing the benefit and the blessing that we have that we so oftentimes take for granted. I want you to, as we read the Old Covenant, as we read, we're not going to read the Old Covenant, but we read um, the, the happenings that are going on at this time, I want you to understand, I want you to put your brain back or try to live back in that for the moment. Be you, how you are right now, but live under those standards back then. And now, and then when I move to the new, I want you to, to consider what it is that you are today and the luxury and the benefit and the blessing that you have today. He says, uh, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 33, it says this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Get going, you and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt. Go up to the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I told them, I'll give this land to your descendants. And I'll send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites. The Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites go up to this land that flows with milk and honey. But I will not travel among you, for you're a stubborn and a rebellious people. If I did, I'd surely destroy you along the way. When the people heard these stern words, they went into mourning and stopped wearing their jewelry and fine clothes. For the Lord had told Moses to tell them, you're a stubborn. <laughs> Listen, this is what God told Moses to say to the people. Gang, you're a stubborn and a rebellious people. If I were to travel with you, God says... Even for a moment, I would destroy you. So remove your jewelry and fine clothes while I decide what to do with you. I find it kind of awkward and kind of, I don't know, humorous in a way that you're walking through a desert with fine clothes and jewelry on. Who are you impressing? Who are you trying to impress? Longing for the old. Longing for the world. And that's what is getting them in trouble constantly. And you know what, gang? We had a, a, a men's breakfast here yesterday, and we talked a little bit about this yesterday, didn't we, gang? Uh, guys, in that as we long for the world, that's where we get ourselves in trouble. When we long for Egypt, Egypt is a type of the world. When we long to go back to, to the days of, of our old life, that's what gets us in trouble. When we want to be a Christian and yet still enjoy some of the past things that we did in that life, that former life that we had, that's what gets us in trouble. And, and as the children of Israel were directed by God, take that jewelry off and those fine clothes off right now. It's stumbling you. It's, it's, it's a speed bump in your life. These are the things that are causing you so much heartache. So from the time that they left Mount Sinai, the Israelites wore no more jewelry or fine clothes. It was Moses' practice to take the tent of meeting and set it up a distance from the camp. And everyone who wanted to make a request of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside of the camp. Are you placing yourself back in this day? 
You're a person walking in the wilderness. You've just heard from the Lord to take off your jewelry and your fine clothes. You've just been told that, listen, God is taking his tent and he's putting it outside of you, outside of the people. If you want to meet with him, you can go to him. But you're going to have to go through Moses. You're going to have to go through Moses. But I'm on the outside of the... I don't even feel good being on the inside of the camp is what's going on here. And so you're back in this time. Whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, verse 8, all the people would get up and they'd stand at their entrances of their own tents. They would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside that tent to be with the Lord. As he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Can you imagine that, that picture? Moses goes in and this cloud comes down. Would that blow your mind? I think it would. When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp, but the young men who assisted him, the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, he would remain behind in the tent of meeting. One day, Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, Lord, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you'll send with me. You've told me, I know you by name, and I look favorably upon you, Moses. Lord, if it's true that you look favorably upon me, let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember this nation, that this nation is your very own people, God. And so the Lord replied to Moses, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. I don't know if you just see the dynamic of what just happened. God had just said to Moses, I am not going to go with you because if I go in the midst of you, I will destroy you because you're a stiff-necked, stubborn people. I'd destroy him. And Moses basically says, listen, God, if you don't go with us, then take my name out of the book. Moses is much like Paul, isn't he? Paul, he says, oh, I could wish myself accursed for the sake of my countrymen. He had a heart for the people that were even against him, his enemies. Those that were his brothers, those that he would willingly die for if they could just have their eyes opened up and see Christ. Moses is the same way. Here he is. He's looking at these people and he knows that they're in sin. He knows they're stubborn. He knows they're stiff-necked. And yet he's going, Lord, these are your people. You've called me to go out here and lead these. And if you don't go with us, take my name out of the book. These are your people. You look at what he's going to say here in just a few minutes. He's going to say, Lord, you've got to go. You can't leave these people out here. If you don't go with us, all the nations of the earth are going to go, hey, ha, God couldn't keep him out there in the wilderness. But God looked upon Moses and said, here's what he says, I will indeed do. Uh, in verse 14, Lord replied to Moses, man, Moses, I personally, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Then Moses said, Lord, remember, if you personally don't go with us, don't make us leave this place. <laughs> I love Moses. Listen to him. How will anyone know that you look favorably upon me, on me and on your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and, and me apart from all the other people on the earth. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you've asked, Moses, for I look favorably upon you, and I know your name. And I know your name. Does God know your name? I, I know that I'm having a couple little little vignettes here, and little things that I'm just pointing out here as I'm going through. But here's the thing. God knew Moses' name. We were talking in the men's group yesterday, and, and you know one of the subject matters was, you know, there's a lot of Christians that are doing a lot of things, and they're having all these blessings, and they have all this stuff that's going on, but they're not really, really... They're not even really living for the Lord, but they're Christians. And, and here's, here's the thing. Um, I was even talking to Bert yesterday after. I mean, he wasn't even a part of our men's group, but we, you and I were talking later on in the day, and, and, and we were talking about this kind of matter, this kind of subject matter, and saying, listen, those who say that they're a Christian and they're obviously living in sin and they have no remorse, no regret, no, and, and no conviction of the Holy Spirit, and they continue to live in that, and they say, hey, I'm, I'm cool. 
I can do this. I can live in this way. Even though it's in contradiction to what the Word of God says, I, as, as, as an outsider looking in, go, are you really saved? If, if, the, if, you are, if you're taking what the Word of God says and you're, you're contradicting it, your life is in utter contradiction to the, to the Word of God, and you feel no conviction over it, it's the same Holy Spirit that's working in me that's working supposedly in you. And if, if the Holy Spirit is saying, no, this is not right, have you become so deaf? Or is it that you just have never accepted the Lord at all? And I think that this is important, and I think that there's a lot of people today, especially in these United States, that think that they're a Christian, and maybe they're not. And I, God, guys... Please, know this. I pray I'm wrong. But what I hear Jesus say, broad and narrow is the way. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there are who go that way. But narrow and few are the way to life. Few there are who go that way. And you get this picture in your head. It's a doorway. You got all these thousands of people. Millions, if not billions of people having to go through one doorway. Jesus says, narrow is the way to life. One person goes through at a time. But broad is the way to destruction. I get the picture of a backwards funnel. Where, where the more you live in, in, for yourself, the more you live apart from the Lord, the, Lord, the more that you don't adhere to the Lord, you don't want anything to do with God, you start to feel a little bit more free in the world. And I think that that should scare you. I think that that should frighten you. If you think that God's good with you living in sin and that, hey, I said a prayer, I have an insurance policy, I'm taking that to heaven with me. I would say be careful because there are many that Jesus says in John in Matthew chapter 7 he says many are going many are going to come to me in that day and say Lord Lord didn't I cast out demons in your in your name didn't I do many mighty things in your name they're saying in Jesus name do these things in Jesus name rise and walk in Jesus name I mean they're saying these things and Jesus says, I will declare to them in that day, I never knew you. Depart from me. And that, that frightens me. For those who live in utter rebellion before God and yet claim to be a Christian. And I question, that was something that Bert and I were talking about yesterday, going, are they really saved? Or are they not? It's the same Holy Spirit that is convicting me over that which I see in the Word of God, which is true, if my life is not in concert with what the Word of God says is righteousness and I feel okay living in contradiction to what the Word of God says, then maybe I'm not saved. And the other thing that I was sharing with, with you know, the guys in, in the men's group, going, hey, maybe some of those people that you look at that say they're Christians, maybe they're not Christians after all. And what you're seeing is that they're having all these blessings, but, but know this. Maybe they're not saved. I was sharing with my mother-in-law um, the other day, uh, yesterday, two days ago. Mom, this is as close to hell as we're ever going to get. This is as close to hell as you're ever going to get right now. As a Christian, Mom, this is as close to hell as you're ever going to get. It's all good news from here, man. And that's especially important to her to hear right now, considering the illness that she's suffering from. I said, but, but here's the thing. On the earth right now, for those who are not going to heaven, this is as close to heaven as they'll ever be. The joy that they have on this earth, that's, that's their heaven because it's all downhill from here unless they repent. And, and so here's the thing, gang. You're either for Christ or you're against Christ. There's no in-between. You're either for the Lord or you're against the Lord. And for us that are for the Lord, 
Don't look at the world and, and envy what they have. Know that we have been bought with a price. Galatians chapter 2.20 doesn't say, it says this. What does Paul say? I have been what? Crucified with Christ. It's no longer what? It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. So now who's it about? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about the guy looking back in the mirror at you. The gal looking back in the mirror at you, it's about Christ. It goes on. It says, uh, Moses says in verse 16, How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people, if you don't go with us, Lord? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all the other people on the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, I will indeed do what you've asked. For I look favorably upon you, Moses, and I know your name. I know you by name. I pray that God knows you by name, my friend. Verse 18, Moses responded, Then show me your glorious presence. Moses is just pressing, isn't he? I mean, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? He's pressing. He's going, man, I'm on a roll here, man. Maybe I'll get to see who God is. Maybe I'll be able to see God. He says, "Um, then show me your glorious, uh, your glorious presence, Lord. The Lord replied, all right, Mo, I'll make my goodness pass before you. And I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. For I will show mercy to anyone I choose and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. But Moses, you cannot look directly at my face for no one may see me and live. I hope that that doesn't confuse you. If it does, just know this. God's glory is so pure and so holy that in our sinful state, we'd die. We would die just to be in the presence of the Lord. In that, in that, in looking at the present and looking at God's face, God says, "You can't handle it. You can't handle the truth." Lord said, "Look, stand here, Moses, near me on this rock. As my glorious presence passes by, I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and let you see me from behind, but my face will not be seen." And so then the Lord told Moses, "I want you to again. You broke the two stones that I just gave to you. I want you to chisel two more stones." out like the first ones that you had and I'm going to write on them the same words that were on the tablets you smashed (laughs) and I want you to be ready in the morning to climb up Mount Sinai again and present yourself to me on the top of the mountain but no one else may come with you in fact no one is to appear anywhere on the mountain don't even let the flocks or the herds graze near the mountain so Moses chiseled out two more tablets of stone like the first ones. Early in the morning, he climbed Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. Can you imagine how, with what excitement he had? And he carried the two stone tablets in his hand. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with Moses. And he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and I am filled with unfailing love and, unfa- and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected by your sin. Even children in the third and the fourth generations. Gang, if you think your sin only affects you, God is saying otherwise. Hey man, I'm not bothering anybody else. No, it's bothering other people. It's bothering your family. It's affecting your family. Stop it. The Lord said, uh, Moses um, immediately threw himself to the ground and worship because that's what you do when you're in the presence of the Lord. He throws himself on the ground and he worship and he said, Oh Lord, if it's true that I found favor with you, then please travel with us. Yes, this is a stubborn and rebellious people. I know that. You know that. But please forgive our iniquity and our sins. Claim us as your own special possession. Notice that he doesn't exclude himself in that. He doesn't separate himself from the people of sin. He doesn't separate himself from those people. He says, no, it's us. It's us, Lord, that have sinned. Us, we have done this. Lord, go with us. Be with us. 
claim us as your own special possession, O Lord. And so the Lord replied to Moses, Listen, I'm making a covenant with you in the presence of all your people. I'm going to perform miracles that have never been performed anywhere on all the earth or in any nation. And all the people around you will see the power of the Lord, the awesome power I will display for you. But listen carefully to everything I command you today. And then I will go ahead of you and drive out the Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. But be careful. Be very careful never to make a treaty with the people who live in the land where you are going. If you do, you will follow their evil ways and be trapped. Instead, you must break down their pagan altars, smash their sacred pillars, and cut down their Asherah poles. You must worship no other god, other gods, for the Lord, whose very name is jealous about his uh, whose very name is jealous, is a god who is jealous about his relationship with you. So know this: God is jealous for you. And when you look at 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 First Corinthians chapter uh, what is eleven, love is not jealous. And you go, wait a minute, how do you reconcile the two? God says, I'm jealous. Why is God jealous for your glory? Why is God jealous for our worship? Why is God jealous for our adoration? Because God knows that no matter where else you or I may look in this world, and we try to place our worship, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a gal, maybe it's a guy, maybe it's an actor, maybe it's a musician, maybe it's somebody that you, you know, a sports figure, maybe it's a, a, a parent. I don't know who that person may be for you that you struggle with putting them on a pedestal. It could be even be a pastor, for goodness sakes. God says, I'm jealous for that love. I'm jealous for that glory because here's the thing. Whoever you place that glory upon, that worship towards, you will be disappointed one day. You are always going to be found wanting when you place that much uh, emphasis and that much glory upon a person on the face of this earth because they are imperfect and they will let you down. But I am God. And I have the power and I have the authority and I have the wherewithal to not do that. Oh, I might not do all things the way that you want them to be done, but I have a plan. And you can, you can mark that down, man. You can set that in stone because I have a plan and that plan is perfect. And when all is said and done, you're going to look at me and go, I agreed, Lord. I, at the time, I did not agree. But Lord, you were right. You were right. The Lord knows that He is the one where our adoration, our affection needs to go. You must not make any treaty of any kind with the people living in the land. They shall lust after the gods, offering sacrifices to them. I, I'm going to have to end, but they will invite you to join them in the sacrificial meals and you will go with them. Then you will accept their daughters. Here's the thing. God's showing what's going to happen if you do do these things. You're going to accept their daughters who sacrifice to other gods as wives for your sons and then they will seduce your sons to commit adultery against me by worshiping other gods. You must not make any gods of molten metal for yourselves like the calf that you just did. You must sell... And then, and then verse 18 through um, you know, 23, um, 24, 28... Uh, you know, it talks about you know some directives that God gives to them, but for sake of time, I'll just move forward. Verse 28, Moses remained there on the mountain with the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights, and in all that time he ate no bread, he drank no water, and the Lord wrote, in the, wrote the terms of the covenant, the Ten Commandments on the stone tablets. When Moses came down Mount Sinai carrying two stone tablets, two stone tablets um, inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware, listen, that his face had become radiant because he had been speaking with the Lord. So when Aaron and all the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called out to them and asked Aaron and all the leaders of the community to come over. And he talked with them. And then, after a little while, all the people of Israel approached him and Moses gave them all the instructions the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished, verse 33, speaking with them, he covered his face with a veil. But whenever he went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord or the tabernacle, he would remove the veil until he came back out. Then he would give the people whatever instructions the Lord had given him. 
And the people of Israel would see the radiant glow of Moses' face. So he would put the veil over his face until he returned to speak with the Lord. I had to set that as a foundation and a groundwork. And, and for the sake of time, I've got, I'm going to finish this next week. But know this, that kind of sets us up for next week. But here's the thing. So we understand, and I'm going to have to touch on a few of these things next week to get into our study next week to understand, to fully understand what Paul is doing here. What Paul's doing with the Corinthians. What Paul's doing here. He's saying, hey, the veil, the old law, there's a glory to it. It's from the Lord. It's glorious. But know this, even keeping it, you are going to die. There's not one person who would keep the law that would ever end up living. If you think that you need rules and regulations, gang, if you think you need that, if you think that, man, if only I had a list of things that God says, do, don't, do, don't, do, don't, then I could look at those things and I would know and I'd know what to do and what not to do and then it would be easier to follow the Lord and please Him. No, God did that already one time with the children of Israel and not one person ever fully adhered to that save Jesus Christ and if as James says if you keep the law and stumble yet even in one small point you're guilty of the whole thing you're guilty of them all and if you're guilty of the law you must pay for that sin you must pay for that sin how you pay for it is with your life it's death but Jesus lived perfectly upon the cross. Go home and read Galatians chapter 3 this week. I don't have time. It would have been a, a phenomenal, fun study to do. Go home and you do it on your own. This is your own homework. You've now read. You understand the old. Understand what the old was for. Paul will talk about it to the Galatians and say, Hey, gang, the law was good, but it was there for a purpose. It was never intended to save. What it was there for, it was intended to show you and I that we could not live in God's righteousness. We couldn't be righteous enough. We were all going to fail. There was no way that any one person would be able to fulfill the law. And if you stumbled in one point, you, you, you stumbled in all of them. But when Christ came, there is one verse in Galatians chapter 3 that that is, it sums it up, what, what the law is. Verse 19, what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of sin, until the seed, Jesus Christ, should come, to whom the promise was made. And you'll understand that the seed there that is talking about a few verses prior to, uh, was talking about the Abraham, to your seed, I will make this promise. You go all the way back into Genesis chapter 3, it was, to, it was to Eve's seed that a promise was made. There was going to be an enmity between the serpent and the woman's seed, not seeds as in many, but seed as in singular. The seed is none other than Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul's saying. The law was added because of sin to show that man couldn't live perfectly. It was added until the seed, Jesus Christ, should come to whom the promise was made and it was appointed through the angels by the hand of a mediator. And, and so here's the thing. The law it will go on and it will say in, in uh, uh, verse 24 of Galatians chapter 3, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, after Christ has come, we are no longer under a tutor. We no longer find our righteousness according to the law. We find our righteousness in Christ. And we're going to look at that next week. But I didn't want to leave that part hanging. You know, It would be a horrible message here if I didn't give you hope. What Paul's coming to and what he's bringing you and I to is he's saying, guys... We don't have to put a veil on our face. We can live for Christ. We can do it openly. 
And we don't have to worry. We don't have to freak out. We don't even have to worry what we have to say because God's going to give it to us because he's planted within us the Holy Spirit. We can boldly go out and live in this freedom that we have. When you look back in the mirror, you see Christ now. That's what he says in the last verse of of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, man, when you look in the mirror, you see the glory of the Lord. And it's afforded to you through Jesus Christ. So live in it. Be joyous. Be happy. Be be blessed. Know that you and I are living in a day and an age where these Israelites, when they were walking through the wilderness, all through all of the Old Testament, even through the New Testament, they long to see what we have. They long to have what you and I have that we so easily take for granted. Guys, let's live for Christ, man. Let's live for Christ. I believe we're in the last moments. We can do this. Let's live for the Lord. Kevin has been challenging you in announcements, you know, in the morning. Hey, be. Ask the Lord what he would have you to do. Do it. I've said for the last few weeks, gang, this is our finest hour. Let's live for the Lord. Let's live for Him, man, because we have so much to be thankful for. We, as Moses did, Moses couldn't go and, and, and why did he veil his face? Because he knew one day that glory was going to fade. And that literally means that his face, his skin, was radiating light because of the time that he spent with Jesus, or the time that he spent with God. Gang, the world will look at you and I if we live for Christ, if we live in constant communion with Him, if we live in absolute surrender to Him, and we spend precious time with Jesus. Guess what? We're going to walk around with a radiance about us, that the radiance is Christ. And as we do, we don't have to put a veil on our face because that radiance is only going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. It will never go away, it's not going to fade. The radiance that Moses had was fading away. The radiance that we have is only getting stronger, gang. And it will culminate in heaven. And that's what we have to look forward to. Let's radiate Christ. You radiate Jesus. You are Jesus walking through this earth because you have the Holy Spirit leading you and guiding you in this world. Let's love people. Let's point them to Jesus. Let's see other people saved. Let's give them the same opportunity and blessing that we ourselves have taken and accepted the gift of eternal life. Amen? Father, thank you so much for today. And I know I've taken a lot of extra time today. And Lord, there's just so much to... Lord, this is... (laughs) Old and New Covenant in one message is kind of tough. You used 66 books of a Bible to do it. I pray, Lord, that your purpose has been realized here, maybe in one heart, in one life, that they realize the blessing that they have. No more hoops to have to jump through. No more laws to be fearful to keep. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is freedom. If we follow you, Lord, if we just live for you, we don't have a a rule book of do's and don'ts. We have a relationship with you that leans on you and allows your Holy Spirit to lead us and direct us. You will direct our minds. You will direct our tongues of what to say and what not to say. You will direct our minds of what to receive and what to to remove. To flush out of our minds. Your Holy Spirit will move us of what to allow into our heart and to stay and what to block and, and keep away. May we, 
as with an unveiled face, Lord. Walk in this world and may the world around us, maybe our family, our friends, our co-workers, our neighbors, Lord, may they see the radiance of you, Jesus, on our face. May we give them a reason to see that radiance. May we spend time with you. Moses didn't even know that his face was radiating because he was just caught up in you. God, help us to be just caught up in you and trust you with the results. Trust you with with the people that we run into, but Lord, help us not to shy away, but help us to radiate you, Lord, and bless the people around us that we might be workmen or workwomen, servants, Lord, fit for your use that you would use us to our fullest capacity in these days that we have remaining. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for listening. So, did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.